0: Alright folks, welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic Podcast. I'm your host Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Also sorry if I sound a bit nasally, I'm a little bit under the weather. Now in this episode I'm joined with a special guest co-host, who you'll remember from our last episode. Mr. Jarvis Leatherby of Night Demon and Sirith Ungle. And we chat with actor William Ragsdale about modern media fright night roddy mcdowell the stage sitcoms and more as always folks thanks for listening and if you'd like to help the show grow all you have to do is leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts anyway without further ado here you go William, just so we have a platform to jump off here and get things started, why don't you just uh Take us back in time to when you were a youngster. Were you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above?
1: I wasn't really a troublemaker. No, I kind of liked to get along. I always found that was more productive. But my parents are not here to ask. So uh, <laughs> that's the only view of that you're going to get. Certainly a fort builder. We used to uh, dig out these big holes in our in the woods and cover them up with, you know, all kinds of, you know, if you're in the South, you cover them up with sticks and dirt and all that stuff. And used to do that and one time dinner my father said what are you doing so it doesn't cave in and i hadn't even thought of that i was like oh yeah i guess it could cave in couldn't it?" probably my poor building days but um kid growing up grew up in south arkansas in the 70s uh, 60s and 70s and uh, there wasn't a lot there so yeah so you sort of sort of digging forts was about, <laughs> about all you could do you know we rode our bikes we you know we just lived that that life we didn't have any restaurants so we ate at home every night and you know it's the south so church was big and mm-hmm. you know your community that sort of community thing was big and going to the movies the area i grew up in is in the middle of nowhere it's a little town called El Dorado, Arkansas, El Dorado, if you're from there, and uh, they, it's not close to anything, so we didn't have normal television, but what that meant was that we had, pretty early on, uh, from my memory, uh, we had cable television. When it was kind of for people who didn't live places, you know, sort of like modern day satellite stuff, I guess. Mm. And uh, so that exposed me to a lot of the things that I probably wouldn't have gotten on a, on a local channel, you know, and we had a theater there. We had one theater. And so if you wanted to see a movie, you saw what they had on. And that was great, too, because I saw a lot of stuff that the more choices you have, the more kind of stuff you, you know, you select out of seeing and this just whatever was there was what i saw so that kind of exposed me to a lot of stuff i guess
3: that's kind of the problem these days with so much selection you know you find yourself going through spotify or netflix and it's like you know an hour goes by and you haven't found anything what what i've enjoyed you know what I've enjoyed lately is like if you can go on YouTube and just watch movie trailers and it's like I watched there's like a 90 mm-hmm. minute 90 minutes of movie trailers and I feel like I've I've just and the movie trailers these days it's a lost art you know before you the movie trailers were great where where you would mm-hmm. they would actually create have somebody separate that didn't make the film create the trailer and right. kind of like it's just something cool that maybe wasn't even in the movie, you know, but now it's like you can watch 90 minutes of movie trailers and it's great because you usually it takes me 90 minutes to find a movie on Netflix. Now I feel like I've just watched 30 films and I have the rest of my night.
1: <laughs> wow. It's like reader's digest. For movies. I, I have three teenage boys mm. and, uh, you know we'll sit there exactly that you know we'll sit there for an hour saying well let's look at this trailer so we look at that trailer and there's one person in the room who says no i don't want that so it's like committee we choose mm-hmm. by committee what to watch and it's really uh, whereas yeah. if you have the one thing it's like we're watching this or we're not watching a movie
3: right? yeah l- lately when i when i go to movies at the cinema with my girlfriend i it's usually something she's excited about we're into the same stuff which is cool but i always ask her like no please don't tell me anything about it i love going into a, a mm-hmm. Movie and obviously films are meant to be seen in, in a cinematic way, not not at right. home, you know. But going there, not knowing anything about it, is often a very a very pleasing experience. You're just mm-hmm. you're really in it and you're really present, especially in a time where we live with short attention spans and instant gratification. I think that's just right. it's a great thing to do.
1: Right. The reactions to things on social media happen before you you know before you even know what the movie is. Exactly. Well, I heard that yeah. was terrible but (laughs)
3: yeah,
0: people have made their minds up before they see the movie you know
3: it'll be old news by monday
0: (laughs) (laughs) so william you mentioned church is it fair to say that you know going to church early on was your exposure into theater early on yeah, we didn't
1: have much of that. I grew up as a sort of mainstream Presbyterian, so mm, okay, oh, you know, we okay. we didn't have. I don't want to say they're not creative, but you know, you had the way things, and you, and that's how you did them. It was probably more school that sort of got me into that theater or whatever it was. And my dad also had a he had a drug store a little drugstore, and uh, one of the things they did at the drugstore was develop people's film, you know. You'd, you'd drop it off there, and they'd send it away and come back, and they'd pick it up. They did that for uh, Super 8 movies as well. So when I was 12 or 13, I asked for, a like, a little Super 8 camera and I got that, and so I would shoot, you know, these little three minute movies and my dad would send them off and you know and I would check in every day to make sure that, you know to see if they would come in it would take you know two weeks to get your movies back or whatever so and that's really sort of what got me started Kind of in thinking cinematically right. and all of that stuff, I guess. But yeah, so it was, it, I, I marvel, you know, at how different it is now, you know, with every, literally every person is kind of a movie maker now. And it's instantaneous and it's, you can disseminate it everywhere, you know, considering what, because I didn't even have, when I started shooting those Super 8 movies, I didn't even have an, an editing system. They were silent, first of all, cause I couldn't <laughs> afford the sound and I didn't have any editing equipment, so I would shoot them, I'd, I'd edit as I shot, and there was not really editing, you just had to you had to go back and forth between people in real time, as opposed to being able to cut, so. Right. In answer to your question, a- acting and all that stuff, I, uh, I probably, it was school that got me more into it than church.
0: So do you recall your very first time on stage?
1: I do. Well, I'm sure you've heard of it. I did uh, Charlotte's Web in third grade. could have been fourth grade. Uh, I think it was third grade. Uh, I played Wilbur (laughs) the pig, which, of course, is a lead.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, And we did it, yeah, we did it at at school. We did a little short. I don't remember much about it other than, you know, Charlotte's Web. And I had a little Dixie cup that I made into a pig nose, and I wore that for it. And I was so proud of that. I think I was so proud of that makeup. I took my school picture with the with the pig nose.
0: So he did special effects too.
1: Yeah, special effects. Yeah, <laughs> eat your heart out, boss films and all that stuff. So, but uh, yeah,
0: I guess to piggyback off of that, what about uh, your Broadway debut? You know, how did that feel? Take us through landing the part and opening night.
1: Yeah, it was a seamless from from Wilbur <laughs> to uh, Broadway, pretty much. You know, that's why he said
0: piggyback. Thank yeah. you, Jarvis. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I did Wilbur, as as you know, and then I did when I was uh, whatever that is, 11 or so. I'm not sure what grade that is. I grew up in a town that had a little theater. They had like a really well patronized little theater group. And when I was about 11, they started a children's theater portion of that, which was great. It was a bunch of kids who got together. There was an, a, you know, a couple of adults who, who ran the thing and they, they would mount these plays. They would do improvs and basic sort of theater training, acting and stuff. And uh, so that's what I started doing at 11. Did the children's theater plays and actually got into the grown-up plays, you know, when they needed kids for the parts and stuff. And then when I got to high school I started doing that with school and then I did it in college kept doing it at the end of college literally like 2 months before I graduated I realized I had no skills <laughs> I had no skills or abilities or anything other than you know memorizing words and talking thankfully my parents said well okay you know you've you've done this your whole life you seem to enjoy it Why don't you go give it a shot, see what happens? So that's what I did. I went to California to an acting school through, you know, sort of a domino effect. uh, There was a casting woman in Los Angeles who was looking for young guys for this movie Mask that Eric Stoltz ended up doing. And so she reached out to agent friends of hers. They reached out to... You know friends of theirs and it eventually got to this acting school where i was going and so i did a little tape i put myself on tape they liked it i went down and i met peter Bogdanovich, who was who was directing it and it went well i didn't get the part but it you know it went pretty well and then when i finished acting school later i called the casting woman jackie birch and said you know you want to have lunch you want to grab coffee and she said, no, I am direct, I am casting this movie. Why don't you come in and read for it? And that was Fright Night. So it was really fast. It was right out of the shoot that it all kind of started. That's from Wilbur to Broadway. Once I did Fright Night, I went to New York and sort of went to New York to visit. And I had an agent there, and they knew about Fright Night. And they said, well, would you be interested in reading for some theater or something? I said, sure. And so they one of the things that got me was uh, Biloxi Blues on Broadway. They're Replacing Matthew Broderick, you want to read for that? So I did. Oh, nice. Yeah.
3: Was any of the uh, the cast from the film and the Broadway play? I I, I had not known that it was a Broadway play, but I, I have seen the film. Oh,
1: you mean Biloxi Blues, right? Yeah, uh, Matthew Broderick did the lead, and Penny Miller, who okay, Penelope Miller, who I yeah. uh, was who I did it with uh, in New York and who Matthew did too, was in the movie, I think, as well. And I can't remember who else. I, I, yeah, I do remember
3: the cast being pretty great in that film.
1: Yeah, it's great. They yeah. shot it. They shot the they shot it here in Arkansas. So I was like, Well, hey, I know the part.
3: I know a bit a little bit about about your your history and one thing one question I wanted to ask is you kind of passed this up a bit with what you just talked about. What made you growing up in Arkansas, what made you when you went to California, what made you go to San Francisco versus LA?
1: When I was in college I had a a visiting director, a professor who was from the UK, from um, and, and from a school there called the Drama Studio of London. He was really supportive and everything. And I reached out to him and I said, you know, I this was in March or April or something when all the deadlines for grad school stuff had passed by, and I said, do you have any? Would you be able to write a letter for me to get in? You know, maybe the Drama Studio. And uh, he said, sure, of course. So he wrote or whatever, talked to somebody who was at the drama studio and they had they had just opened up a couple of years before had opened up an american school in berkeley california an american branch of the school and so they were in london and berkeley and so i went out to the berkeley school because it was close and it was uh and i got in so that's but it was cool. through a visiting professor here at the school
3: okay that makes sense that's a cool progression too because you actually finished the school and then got right into it like a lot of times you know i see it being from la it's like most people in acting school they're already going on auditions like after their first day of acting class you know they're trying right. to right. break in right away and, and not really you know sometimes like when you take life in in seasons you can really focus on things and be kind of, kind of uh, progress in a, in a, in a much more natural way, you know? So that's pretty, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. I was, I was extraordinarily lucky because people were looking for what I had to, you know, who I, what I was. So it doesn't get much easier than that. So,
0: so is there a uh, stage director you'd like to work with again, if you could?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I worked, one of my last plays was with this guy, David Cromer, Cromer, who, uh, is a New York director. He won a Tony for the band's visit. And he's a great director. He's he's still up and at it. And yeah, it would it would be fun. I mean, I worked with uh, Gene Sachs on the Biloxi Blues and Broadway Bound, who was, you know, kind of a legend and, and that was great. I worked with um, Stephen Sondheim and George Firth. I did a I did a play that they had written a while ago and a well, you while know, ago, twenty eight something years ago now. And that was great. That was fun. So, yeah, I mean, I I love theater. I love to to get in there and mix it up and stuff. So a lot of the the people that I've done plays with are, you know, no longer with us. So the disadvantage of aging.
0: Method acting is a term we hear thrown around a lot. And I've spoken to enough actors to know if you ask, you know, one actor what method acting is, the next one's going to have a different answer. So what does Mm -hmm. the term mean to you and what's your method?
1: Well, my, I mean, I, I think of it as... Mostly like Stanislavski, mm-hmm. uh, Stanislavski, uh, you know, and it's just sub- just being a real person in these situations. I mean, his whole the crux of his whole method is what if? And he says that's the magic word for him. If I was in this situation, what would I do? How would I react? So you're really it's really based on reacting as a human being and and putting in that situation. His method, you know, was conceptual. If I was here, what would I do? You know, he didn't say, go out and, you know, fish for crabs if you have to play a fisherman. You know, to go out and do that for six months or something like that. But if you have some sort of, of, of equivalent experience in something that you can transfer it, you know, that's that's sort of what I do. I don't, I don't uh, necessarily live it. Yeah, to be to have as much information as you can about it is really important, to do background research and all of that.
0: How deep do you go personally with your characters? Do you keep a? I know uh, Armin Shimmerman off the top of my head said he keeps a. Sometimes he'll make a journal of the character things that maybe they did. Some things you'll never see on screen, but just for yourself, do you do things yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't journal it, but I, I mean, I write down things and I, I keep track of connections to different parts of you know my character's connection to different parts of the story, depending on what that is, and and you know and imagining it and you know filling out the void of stuff that's not necessarily in the script, but which makes it adds to the whole person. That's pretty normal, I think.
0: So let's talk Fright Night. Uh, take us through that uh, that audition. Was it your typical audition? How much information did you have about you know Charlie going in?
1: Yeah, I really didn't know anything about it. I mean, I knew, you know, I got the script. I had called Jackie Birch, who had done the casting on Mask, and said, let's, you know, kind of take you out. She said, no, but go... Come by and read for it. So I came by and I read the script or read the scenes and stuff and did well enough. And so they gave me a script and I read the script and, you know, and it was, I thought it was fun. I thought it would be a great little summer movie, you know, it would be a nice intro for me as a movie actor and stuff. And that's, I mean, I didn't think, oh, this is going to be Fright Night that people will still remember, you know, 30 years later. I I, I think. And I think the people making it, uh, at least the studio, you know, thought it's going to be a a good little cheap uh, summer scary movie for the kids. I mean, that's what they did. That was the that was the season, you know, in the 80s, they would make something scary for summer for kids to go to over and over again. (laughs) I thought that that's kind of what it was going to be and enjoyed it as such. And I was just really lucky to be included with Tom Holland, who wrote and directed it because he's you know steeped in movie knowledge and stuff and and Roddy obviously too so mm. i got a real i got a real education doing it it's sort of like the the finishing of acting school was was being able to work with those guys and chris too i mean they all knew they knew where the bodies were buried they knew they knew <laughs> the history they knew um, they knew everything it was great it was really fantastic
0: you've already kind of touched on it no one can see the future hindsight is 2020 we all know what friday night has become but you know while you're there in the moment on set filming today today is there can you get any sort of sense of that in the work while you're there that you're working on something special
1: I mean, we just got along really well, you know. It started with Tom, of course, uh, who wrote and directed it. So he was, he knew very specifically what he wanted. He knew, he storyboarded the whole thing out meticulously. So it was like being on a tightly run ship. You knew your job, you knew where you were going, you knew what you needed to do. And, you know, and that was great. There was no sense of, which I have encountered since then, you know, sort of like, what are we doing? What's the goal you know,
0: what's
1: what's what are we all feeling here? You know, what's are we all on the same page and stuff? So so that felt great. And we also rehearsed. We had like two weeks to rehearse on a sound stage. You know, they taped out the footprint of the sets. So you knew, you know, when you turned a corner, that's where the corner was, you know, and you could sort of envision then if you were seeing something for the first time, where you saw it what you were doing, you know, who was on the other side of the wall. And, and that was a real luxury, you know, because usually you just come in. You haven't even seen the set. You just come in and say, oh, that's that, those are the stairs I go up. OK, so this was really, really well planned out. And that helped a lot. You always
3: hear from uh, directors, especially writer directors, that, you know, rehearsal is key. You know, if you have two mm-hmm. weeks of rehearsal, that's like a year. <laughs> you yeah. know like two weeks is is a long time you know really um especially you know depending on if you're making a studio film or and what that what that budget is and everybody working on that film do you do you recall how long the shoot was for fright night like from start to finish not not counting the rehearsals or or table yeah it was about it
1: was about 2 months
3: yeah two months yeah had, so yeah, that's like so you so probably like 50 60 days of shooting something like that
1: probably yeah yeah that's yeah cool. and i um we had sh- we shot all the exterior stuff you know the 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 discotheque and running around the the exterior of the houses and all that stuff and uh when we moved inside one evening while we we're shooting i uh i was running down the stairs and i i broke my foot i i wow. Yeah, so that slowed us down, but it also, it sort of bought us more time, I think, because they could, because the insurance, you know, they said to the, it was an obviously an insured production, so they sure. said, we're going to need more time with it, because one of our actors is injured, which, you know, kind of gave them a little bit of a cushion, I think, to Yeah,
3: absolutely.
1: to, to, to get things just right. Yeah, just Absolutely. Yeah, so we ended up going over a little bit from what they had scheduled. So, so, so
3: you, you basically didn't get treated like the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you know that story. But, yeah, you where know, they, they – The guy they, ended up with they, like they, silver paint in his eyes and like yeah. was like <laughs> on his deathbed in the hospital. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. got to roll on. Like yeah. paint a new guy. That's that's funny. Uh, you know, yeah, I got to admit uh, the reason I'm on this interview as a guest – as a co-host, a guest host – is because *Fright Night* is my second favorite movie of all time, and oh, awesome. I can't tell you how many times I watched it.
1: Yeah, it really uh, holds up. You know, you, yeah, you I mean, you, it's, I do the well, same thing when I see it come on. I'm like, oh, I just want to see this scene. It. <laughs> yeah, right. it goes into the next thing, you're like, oh, uh, wow. oh, this is a good one, too. I,
3: to this, I so. mean, it, the pacing of it is is fantastic. And, you know, I can't give Tom Holland a, enough credit, too, for just, I mean, he kind of put everything you'd ever want in a horror monster. Yeah. yeah. Every, yeah. Every, he's every, it has every element in it, and it's very well executed. I got to say, so I was born in 1981. So by the okay. time... Fright Night had come around to me, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I hadn't seen it as a theatrical release or when it first came mm. out. I did see it when I was fairly young, but prior to knowing that the film existed, I had watched The Princess Bride about a hundred times. <laughs> um, I had seen every episode of Married with Children and one of my favorite Fox shows was Herman's Head. Um, oh, wow, okay. I that right. like after In Living Color, you know? So I knew all of you guys as somebody else. <laughs> but I had very well. Very well as somebody else, right? Okay. And I think my, my references to Roddy McDowell were just like pieces here and there of some old films that, you know, I'd casually see uh, right. what my parents were watching or whatever. So that's how powerful of a movie it is, and that's mm-hmm. how that's how well written it is and well executed and that's how great the performances are, is that I was able to you might think that you may be to some people typecast as Charlie Brewster for the rest of your life, but that's actually not true. Like to to somebody else like me, at this being one of my favorite films of all time, you know, it's like I came in knowing you and Chris mm-hmm. and Amanda as totally, completely different people, you know? So, and, yeah, so that is, I just wanted you to know that, that, that there well, is thanks. a faction out there that, that loves this film that does, your other work does exist and as, as a first, right, for me and And Friday Night was so good that I was able to to forget about that and be in the moment of all the characters that you guys had had taken on for that film so oh
1: wow, well great, thank you. I appreciate that and yeah, and that's a real testament to to Tom and his directing and his story too because you're you know once you you're sort of on that ride you'll go you know you don't have to keep thinking about Prince Humperdinck or uh, Marcy Darcy right. or, <laughs> right, you know. Right. Yeah, you, you hey, really buy into it so right
0: you kind of already been talking about it william how how is tom's approach to directing different from most you've worked with
1: well for for us i don't know what directors do on their own you know individually but for us he really included us in the process he had thought it out he had figured it everything out shot for shot story all of this stuff was there in his head and then that was great because he could include us when he would when he would talk us through the scenes in rehearsal, or even discussing the movie, he could let us know what was going to happen, what how everything was connected, how everything was going to progress, and that was that was really helpful, I think. And you certainly, I don't get that. I mean, maybe if you're Johnny Depp or you know, somebody, <laughs> you get that with your director. But yeah, so it really does did strengthen the the overall result i think you know because you know what's happening and you know what you know where you need to get to
0: so it'd be remiss of me not to mention the late great roddy mcdowell you've already mentioned him Mm -hmm. so far and uh just to ask some of your favorite memories of working with him from both movies any specific stories you have of him
1: he was such a lovely guy, you know. He was he was generous. He was accessible. He was he had a sense of camaraderie, you know. He, he he treated you as an equal in the process. And *Fright Night's a real ensemble piece, and he was just emphatically ensemble, you know. He knew that the relationships between the characters were were what served the film, and so there was um, it, it was egalitarian. But he also, you know, was a living history of Hollywood movie making. He he not only lived it from, you know, the late 30s to he knew everything about it. He was a fan. He was an historian. He was a documentarian. Yeah, so it's really true. He was, you know, he was graduate school for for all, you know, whatever else I had learned in theater and all of that stuff. He was really, really a powerful player in that. He knew when we were on the uh, this lot called the layered lot, which had been the old Selznick Studios and uh, Selznick Studios, and he knew what movies had shot in each sound stage, You know, and he would tell you. You would walk past something and said, "Oh yes, that's where they that's where they shot Terra, or, or something like that." <laughs> kind of, uh, era plantation, not <laughs> terror. Um, so that was incredible, and it really sort of made you feel in this movie that was an homage to older movies that you were you were celebrating it in life and in in the actual movie so it was great he was great and generous and knowledgeable and uh, I miss him a lot I, I hate to call him resource but he was a great repository of movie knowledge trivia like- and intrigue
3: right. and a general like a or a genuine old school you know historian of the of the yeah. craft right so um yeah it's like generally. a it's like a good like a good athlete you know too it's just like you know the, they know they know the history they've studied it they've right. mastered it and they've experienced it and they have a lived experience so it's a, probably a great mentorship what can you what can you tell me about this Second Fright Night. I personally th- feel like it's a very underrated film. I think that it uh, that it it suffered a lot from its uh, lack of distribution, especially right. in the in the DVD era. I mean, I bought it for eighty. 80- dollars on DVD at one point because it's just you couldn't or in a different region I um I felt like it's a, it's a, it's even more of a cult classic than the first film and I that honestly the second film scared me way more hmm, I think it was I think it was actually the feel of it was scarier it right. was darker there there was a lot of quiet parts in it that's what really right. scared me, you know, where you'd have more sound effect or in silence instead of music, right? Because music right. can always direct our feelings. Right. I thought it was great. And I thought right. it was really cool that you with you and Roddy in it. I mean, I can't say anything positive about the remakes. I'm not trying to take away anybody's drive or hard work at all. But
1: um, yeah, careful. You're in Ireland. But, yeah. Right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that guy's got enough awards now for his new film where he does absolutely nothing. So, right. <laughs> nothing he just cries um, you've never anyway, acted so- with a donkey
1: before obviously so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but anyway the second pill I thought was is and is uh, incredible uh there's some there's some great performances in it and it just makes me it's like i could see the two of you guys on screen playing those characters for if you made eight of those films it's just it's right. just great you know it's great so i just want to
1: abbott and costello continue <laughs> their journey yeah that would have been fun that would have been fun to be able to do that but yeah it worked out the chemistry worked out
0: how do you view seen- friday night william when uh part two how do you view the second one and compare to the first one?
1: You know, I like it. It's you're exactly right. It's a little, uh it's a little darker. It's not, it doesn't play on the innocence that the first one does. And, and just by definition of, you know, just by the natural flow of the story, you know, Charlie knows more than he did the first time. Peter knows more than he did the first time. So, it, it, they're coming in there i think even peter says forewarned is forearmed in the second one and you know so it's it's a different adventure you know because they know what they're up against and they they have some knowledge of it. Yeah, so it's kind of different, and it's got, it's got a little t- more of a sexual twist to it, and it's got a Absolutely. little... Absolutely. It, it, it feels to me, that movie feels to me more like a time capsule of the 80s, you know, because you have Bella, who's this kind of androgynous, glam rock kind of uh, persona in it, who plays the vampire in roller skates. So yeah, it has a little more feel of that 80s vibe, to it.
3: I would also like to point out that this was the uh, invention of what we call in 2023 gaslighting, from the therapist to the point of Charlie Brusler,
2: <laughs> right, right.
3: <laughs> that is now known as gaslighting. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not real; it's just in your head. Try and yeah, sink my right. teeth into you. <laughs> he's a narcissist, oh, that therapist. He's a narcissist, and he's a manipulator and a gaslighter. Okay, <laughs> get it
1: straight. Ow. Wow, we're getting some uh, a little insight here. To uh...
0: in between the first film and the second film, how far after the first one did you hear about the sequel? And did you guys know initially that Tom wasn't involved? And how did you feel about that?
1: Yeah, as I recall, it was it was about two years later. I had gone out. I had actually gone out with Biloxi Blues on the road. I had taken it on tour, and towards the end of that, there were rumblings that they wanted to do another one. And I didn't know much about it. I knew I wanted to. I wanted to work with Roddy again, but I didn't know much about the script. And then I, I got the script, and you know, as happens, you know, in sequels, a lot of people changed. Right? You can't keep going back with the same people over and over again. So, so I think I just sort of accepted that. That I mean, first of all, Jerry Dandridge certainly seemed dead to me, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, even by vampire standards. <laughs> In the first one, so I knew it was going to have to be somebody else, and I liked the idea of it being sort of a re- sister revenge kind of thing. That was cool. Older woman, younger man. So you had a sort of a cougar element to it, and uh, even though she wasn't much older, but so that was kind of interesting. And you know, they brought performance art into it, and so yeah. So I thought it was kind of, I thought it was an interesting idea. I, you know, you can't the effects budget for the second one wasn't quite what it was for the first one so you can't really anticipate that when you're evaluating you know a script or whatever but um it was good they did they did tell me one of the producers said before we did it he said we're just doubling everybody's salary that's all we're doing no questions asked don't ask for more that's what we're doing so that was fine i guess i mean i thought yeah sure right yeah, yeah. I mean, I had made something like ten thousand dollars in the first one. I thought, okay, great, twenty thousand. Well, okay, right, fine. yeah, right. Yeah, good so, point. Fine. Yeah. So it was sort of take it or leave it, and you know, but it was. I knew it would be fun, so I said, and I had nothing else going on, so I said, sure. Later, the same producer came up to me and he said, boy, I'm so glad you agreed to do this because we couldn't have done it without you. And I thought... Yeah, that's what I was oh, just going to say. Man. It's like, come on. That's like, not what you're you the, said. You're the
3: main character. You're the yeah. face of the main character. To change it at that point is so well, difficult. Know, I mean, yeah, I did you need a better lawyer.
1: <laughs> I, did I did Mannequin 2 and everybody was different. So they can make a right. sequel with no, different yeah. people. So you that's can, uh, right. everybody except Meshack. Taylor uh so
3: like Teen Wolf 2 with Jason Bateman instead of Michael J Fox
1: yeah yeah right so it happens splash splash 2 it it wasn't the no-brainer that I felt like it was after he had said that but because it could have brought Roddy back finding another kid easily you know yeah Yeah, that's that's a good that's a really good point that's a good point uh, so that's that's what it was
0: do you think that was that on the table or is that just something that you think
1: I mean, yeah, it could have been a new kid with a new girlfriend. They already had the new girlfriend. It It could have been another couple, you know. Yeah, it's tough.
3: Um, it's tough to look at it like a game of poker, you know, where it's like they yeah, say, take whatever. it or leave it. If you're going to work with somebody, you want to you want to take them at their word, and you don't want to start off as a like <laughs> with that kind of attitude when you're when you're going into to make a film that's important yeah. to your career and backed on the success of what you've already done. You know? Yeah, so I get it.
1: But you know, I mean, in fairness too, you know, this was before really before much. Video stuff. I mean, it wasn't what it everywhere. And, the, and it was only two years after the original. And the original was mildly successful, fairly successful, enough to make a sequel. But it wasn't It wasn't Blu-ray, DVDs, streaming, you know, everywhere and in, in video. It, it was a slow build. So I don't think it was like, it didn't feel like, okay, this is a sequel to a classic at that point. It was just a sequel. And yeah, so that affected Fair enough.
3: Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. It's kind of funny. You got to look at it at the time with what was actually happening and put that in perspective. Just like, you know, like right now, we don't know. <laughs> we may look back on this time and go, shit. <laughs> you know, like, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And plus, and plus, the sequels were, you know, a dime a dozen at that time. You know, the Halloween's and the, yeah, uh, yeah. I yeah. 13th. It was just what you did for that kind of
0: movie. Yeah, I'm it, really
3: surprised yeah. that Fright Night wasn't franchised like that in some way, you know, because it would have been really easy to just license that name yeah. to anybody, really, you know. So, yeah. ah, interesting.
0: Were there any rumblings after the second movie for a third, or was it just all quiet after that?
1: Yeah, I think that that Roddy and Tom had had conversations about a third. I don't really know what, you know, what
0: happened. Reflect over your, when you look over your entire career, stage or screen... Which role would you say has been the most challenging? Is there one that you lost sleep over, pulled your hair out over?
1: Uh, The ones I've gotten or the ones I haven't?
0: (laughs) Whichever (laughs) one's come to mind. (laughs) I
1: never pulled my hair out over a role I had that. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, when I was... Right after Fright Night 1 and 2, you know, I was, I got to meet a lot of great directors. I got in on a lot of great movies and stuff. And, uh, you know, most of them didn't work out. So that was kind of, that was, I did like, uh, I read for uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I read for Project X. Anything Matthew Broderick did, I read for <laughs> I read for uh, this thing called the Woo Woo Kid, which is, uh, which was later in the mood with, uh Patrick Dempsey, I read for Field of Dreams, I read for Name of the Rose, I mean, all these things that kind of made other actors, a a number of them I would have really enjoyed doing, but it didn't work out, so that's kind of frustrating, you know, and, um, well, they didn't make Friday especially when when Patrick was on uh, Grey's Anatomy, (laughs) you know, making whatever that was, 200 grand a week, that would have been nice, but, uh, you know, it's just not the way it worked out, so.
0: Should Um I,
3: I'd like to ask, just bringing it up to current here. You mentioned that you're in Arkansas. D- are you directing or producing a play? Right, directing play. Yeah. Okay. So, so does this is this kind of a thing that you know so you live you live in the, on the east coast now this so you're kind of coming back home to do right. this is this in is this at all involved in the uh playhouse or the production company that you mentioned like when you when you were young growing up there is this something that you were doing on your own what's what's the story with this and you know it's, it's, col- it's a it's a play today? at
1: a college i'm okay. directing at my alma mater uh, mm. Henry right. college in, in Conway, Arkansas. Yeah. So it's where I did theater in college. And uh, so they just invited me back to direct a show here. So, yeah. That's so great. it's part of the, it's part of the college. and That's great. Theater so theater. that
3: probably feels pretty cool to, to, after all the success you've had, you know, in, around the world and in Hollywood mm-hmm. and like to be able to come back and do something like that, you know, that's gotta be pretty, uh, a pretty, pretty cool feeling, right?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, you, uh, There's so many, you know, in Hollywood and even New York to some degree, you know, there's so many hoops to jump through and there's so many things have to go right for it to work out. And, you know, and what really drew me to the to the field and to the, you know, the profession was just the joy of it. You know, and how much fun it was, and how how collaborative it was with with so many people. And uh, you know, this is a simpler version of that. Everybody's working together: the technical people, the, the kids, the, the faculty. Everybody's. Moving in one direction, which they do, I guess, in the professional world as well. But it, it's just it's it's a more it's less complicated, you know. I mean, yeah. it, there's no yeah. there's no e- there's a lot less ego involved everywhere you go, you know, and in, in all components of this. So so that's really nice. It's refreshing and reminds me of what got me into it in, in the first place.
3: Right. Yeah, it's like uh, I could say the same thing. You know, I'm I'm in not film or acting or television world, but I'm in the music world heavily, right. and. Yeah. Uh, It's like, man, sometimes it's like I realize how much I just wanna actually play music and how much more of my time is dealt with doing a bunch of other bullshit around it. (laughs) And it's just like this is the stuff that when you're young you look you kinda like you're like, Oh man, people wanna interview me or like, you know, I get to um go do go to an event, you know, or Yeah. yeah, like and then when you when you're doing all this stuff you kinda like and then you start getting attached to results and stuff like this and you, you kind of forget, you know, why you did it in the f- first place. And sometimes it just makes you want to yeah. go back and go, look, man, I just want to do the art of it all. That's what really made me happy, you know, not right. chasing the dopamine hit of being praised all the time for what I'm doing, you know? Right. Which it's it's a it's a hard thing, but it's a, it's an interesting thing to look to look back on later.
1: Yeah. You know? When you're you know, when you're actually doing it when when you're playing music i'm sure and when you know or when someone's on stage and you're doing it there's not you know you're not in competition with anybody else you're just doing it you're you're living that joy as opposed to you know working the system or people or all of that stuff so it's it's just a purer experience and it's it's what you enjoy you know it's it's the it's the pleasurable part of the journey. Whereas trying to get the job or, you know, you know, I audition for stuff now, you know, with f- 40 something years of credits and the people you don't often don't know who you are. So, you know, I mean, it right. feels kind of weird. It's like, oh, OK, well, I'm showing you I'm doing the same thing I did at 20 that I, I you know, <laughs> that I did in my 20s. I'm doing now. It's just the name of the, the game. So right. it's really the doing it that's that's more enjoyable than getting the work and in any field i'm sure
3: you should direct a play based on that exact premise i would watch that every day
1: <laughs> yeah yeah would <laughs> be awesome yeah maybe so oh, yeah. yeah yeah it's uh they're doing uh at the arkansas rep here they're doing laughter on the 23rd floor which is a neil simon play about his young days in early television working with sid caesar on your show of shows and the guy playing sid caesar in that production is judge reinhold so you know there's there's all kind of meta stuff going on there. i think (laughs) you know with uh, people revisiting their you know their early successes and the reality of what happens when you're doing it for decades later so sure sure interesting
0: well william i know we got to let you go here in a few minutes so just to wrap it up what's on the horizon for you you know where can people find you what can people expect from you down the road
1: the, the the next thing that's coming up, which I hope people will look into, is I'm I'm in this I have a small role in this movie uh, Renfield. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Nicolas Cage <laughs> film. Yeah, Nick Cage and oh, Nicholas great. Hold. Nick Cage plays Dracula, and Nicholas Hold is Renfield, his assist unhappy assistant. And it's comedic, you know. It's it's very much got a, a some Fright Night DNA in it. You know, it's sort of comedic. It's vampire. It's it's yeah. The trailer uh, looks great. Full of respect for the old school stuff. So, um, I have a small sort of Easter egg like role in it. So, I hope people will tune in. That, that uh, starts in April. So, I hope people will have a look at that.
3: That's going to be a big one. I know it. It's got a lot of heat on it right now. Good. So, good. Yeah, it
1: really does. Yeah. It looks it's, great. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, he's just born to play that role. He really
2: is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's, a, he's a huge movie fan. He's he knows the history he appreciates the history yeah. and he's he was constantly looking for ways to 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 reference the old stuff everything from nosferatu in 1922 or whatever that was you know to to modern day so i think i think it's going to be really good i hope people will awesome. see him.
0: you were in joe hill's nosferatu too weren't you
1: well you mean the uh the tv show yeah 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 you were in there yeah, right? yeah yeah I, yeah i had a small that's, a,
0: that's just another vampire connection for you
1: Right, yeah. And, and that was funny too because I thought, oh boy, you know, because it was a really small role and I thought, okay, well, you know, it was kind of weird. I kind of didn't really I was nervous about being someone knowing I was Charlie Brewster and being in this little, you know, small role and stuff and you know, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it or what. But nobody knew the hell who I was. <laughs> but on, on that set, nobody had a clue. And I mean, there was no there was no vampire reference at all towards me, you know. No one had had any sort of knowing comment or anything, so you know,
0: missed opportunity on their part. I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, it's
1: better. You know, I think about it from time to time. It's it's better than being uh, Bob Denver or uh, you know Leonard Nimoy, where you cannot escape a character. You know, I mean, it's it's nicer that people are perfectly willing to see you as something else and other than what you you know you might be famous for or something. So that's right. that's the upside of it. So.
3: But like I like I mentioned earlier, when you have you have a large body of work, there's more potential for that to happen. People come in and even as a musician, somebody can somebody comes in on your fifth album when they're young. You know, it's like just like with the, the how I discovered you guys and, and it was from stuff that was happening after your big break, you know. So right. it it's it, it's gonna happen that way. Yeah.
1: Brass is always green.
0: Yep. William, we thank you a lot for giving us some of your time, man. We're not going to make you late for your next appointment. Right. Thank you oh, very you much. Don't make me no, don't make drivers late, neither. Yeah. You know? so, I'm yeah, free, I, so I really don't need that. Like right?
3: <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me on here, Justin, as a co-host. And William, thank you so much. This has been like uh, really like a somewhat of a fantasy of mine to talk to you kind of face-to-face, even though we're not here in person. And um, you know, I've seen tons of interviews. I'm a big fan. And I right. hope that you had a good time just having a real chat with us here.
1: And I'm honored. So thank you. I did. I did. Thank you so much guys. I appreciate it. Best right. of luck All to right. you guys too.
0: You too, William. Right. You have a great day, man. All right,
1: All right. you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care.
0: All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with William. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs>